Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast, your trusted resource for breast health information, support, and encouragement. Your hosts today are Dr. Lindsay Gold and Dr. Ashley Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lindsay Gold, joined by my partner, Dr. Ashley Richardson. Ashley, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? Great. I'm really excited about this topic. During this podcast, we'll be talking about sexuality during and after cancer treatment. How does sex and intimacy affect a woman's life? Should she stop having sex? What about her partner? We will get into all of these answers and so much more. We are so lucky to have as our guest, Dr. Rachel Needle, a licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. She is the executive director of the Whole Health Psychological Center and also is the co-director of Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, an organization that provides continuing education and certification in sex therapy, LGBTQIA affirmative therapy, and many other certifications, including a PhD in clinical sexology for mental health and medical professionals around the world. Dr. Needle, we are so happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, um, would you mind telling us a little bit about some of the work that you do? Uh, sure. So I see clients. Uh, I'm a licensed psychologist, as you mentioned. So I see clients with a range of presenting issues, but I specialize in sex and relationships and trauma and substance use disorder. Um, and I've done a lot of work with sexuality and so other psychosocial factors during and after cancer treatment. So interesting. So I just want to start, Ashley, jump in if you want, but sex in general as a topic, aside from cancer, a lot of times is just uncomfortable, right? For, for people to talk about and then add the stress of a cancer diagnosis, strains on relationships or not being in a relationship, strains because of the therapy. I mean, it's it's like a perfect storm for a whole, you know, hot mess of psychological issues. Um, what is the type of uh, patient who you see? Is there is there an overarching theme of problems you see? What's the most common situation you encounter? Well, I, I think the biggest issue and one of the reasons that I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today is that it's an issue that's, you know, when it comes to sexuality and intimacy during and after treat, after cancer treatment, it's an issue that's far too often overlooked. So, you know, people don't really know who to turn to when it comes to this. And oftentimes physicians don't even really open the door to that. And that's one of the things that I, I do a lot of educating about in the, you know, physician community is that is, you know, you don't have, I get that, you know, for your job, it's to really save the person's life essentially, Right. Um, but then we have to talk about quality of life. So if you're not, you know, whether you're not knowledgeable or whether you just don't have time to address it, the most important thing is that you open the door by just, you know, uh, saying something along the lines of, you know, um, most people will experience some sexual or intimacy change, you know, after cancer treatment is, you know, is this an issue for you? Or if this is an issue for you and then give them a flyer or a card, you know, um, so it, it's something that I just think is so overlooked and that is what I would say the biggest issue is. 
I think you bring up an excellent point when you say open the door. And I know Lindsay and I are big advocates about quality of life. So obviously, when we see our patients in the acute setting with a cancer diagnosis, we address surgery and their acute treatment needs. But when we see them in follow-up for six months, one year, two years out of a cancer diagnosis, I, and I know Lindsay does as well, always try and get to how they're really doing on the inside and the outside. And oftentimes just opening the door, as you mentioned, is a huge relief for patients. And I can't tell you how many times patients will say, well, because you're a female physician, I want to talk to you about this. Or now that my husband's not in the room, because family members often accompany them to their initial visits, but not always the follow-up. And once they're in the room alone with us, do they really feel comfortable uh, kind of opening up to us about those other issues outside of just the cancer diagnosis? Absolutely. And you know, here's the thing is that estimates of sexual dysfunction following cancer treatment range from 40 to 100%. And I would say that 100% will experience some sort of change, whether it's a, you know, full on sexual dysfunction, or just a change how they feel about their body, you know, how they, you know, what they're able to do with their body, or, you know, their part, their interaction with their partner, um, you know, so there will 100% in my mind and what, from what I've seen be some changes in that way that impact our sexuality and our intimacy. Absolutely. I, I would agree with it. And I'm not even a professional, but I would agree with that 100% number. I mean, how could it not, right? Just dealing with breasts in general, right? And changing the way that they might look or feel just as a baseline of what we do, um, would affect every single person. And I think to myself, well, no matter how solid your relationship with your partner is or um, how good you feel about yourself prior to the diagnosis, um, your body's changing and it's experiencing difficult things. So there has to be some level of, you know, change or dysfunction that happens to every single woman. And you're right, we don't address it probably both because we don't have the time and we don't know how. I mean, locally in our community, I, I don't even know who I would tell if they said, who should I go to, to talk about this? I, I, don't, I don't think I would know. So well, I can certainly help you with some referrals, but excellent. I, I would say that it's not just the physical changes too, right? That's a huge part of it. And I'd love to get into what some of those are, but it's also the changes within the relationship. So you know, oftentimes the, the partner becomes the caregiver. Oh, definitely. Right. And even when they're not, you know, their view, you know, of their partner could change. They might be scared to touch them. What's, you know, both, both the patient and their partner don't always know what's okay and what's not okay. Is it, is it even okay to resume sexual activity? And, you know, it is, you know, if I'm going through chemotherapy, for instance, is that dangerous for my partner? Um, these are questions that I get all the time. I think the other important aspect is their mental health. I mean, ladies will often come into the office and say, you know, I just am so grateful that I'm cured, that I've overcome all of my treatment. Am I selfish for being concerned about this? Am I vain or shallow for being more worried about sex over their breast cancer treatment? And, you know, you really have to talk them off the ledge to say you have several years of life left and that is important and we need to have resources to help guide. Yeah. And I think, you know, the shift from I should feel lucky to be alive, right? Yes, of course, living's a privilege, so we should. But with medical advances, most cancers are being caught early, and therefore there are increased survival rates. So, you know, the focus of oncology care really is being shifted for for many from treatment and managing the disease to improving quality of life. 
And that's what we really need to be focusing on. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to tell a little story for two seconds about my first like exposure to, um, you know, what people might be willing to share with you. Um, the, uh, we offer, you know, breast reconstruction to um, every woman who is, you know, a medically appropriate candidate. And I always tell the story of the the oldest woman I ever had the privilege of um, doing a mastectomy on who who opted to have reconstruction was um, 82. And um, she had one son and he was in the consult with her. And I said, well, I mean, I'm happy to send you to um, a plastic surgeon, if you'd like to discuss reconstruction and the son who was 60, you know, kind of scoffed and was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then she said, she turns to him and says, I'll have you know that I have a gentleman friend and he's 15 years younger than me and we have relations. And this poor son's face turned white. I mean, I thought he was going to have a stroke and he just picked himself up and walked right outside the ex- the door. Anyway, I mean, we laughed and I, t- at the time I was only in my early thirties. I, I, I was stunned. I, you know, I have a pretty good poker face, but that was rough. And in the first post-op appointment, this lovely elderly woman had her drains in and she said, when can I resume sexual relations? And I, I got to tell you, I don't know. I, I may not have kept my cool because I was shocked, but I thought to myself after, you know what? I hope I'm that 82-year-old one day yeah. who's still able to, you know, comfortably have sex and talk about it. And it was great. But I suspect that's kind of uncommon. No, I mean, we're sexual beings still, you know, from birth to death, most of, most of us. So it's it's actually not. You know, people remain sexual in their own ways and some similar to how they've been their whole lives. And for some, it changes somewhat, but they're still sexual beings and engaging in sexual activity or, or having that desire. So, um, you know, that's something that I think is important to remember, no matter how old we are, that that's a part, you know, part of most of us. When you meet with ladies in consult, do you often have their partner um, kind of come in with the visit as well? And, or do you address both of them individually? Or how do you really go about meeting with these ladies to get to, get to their underlying issues or concerns? I mean, it's always my preference to meet with them as a couple or, you know, if they're willing, if both partners are willing or all partners. Um, So, you know, that's my preference. And then oftentimes I meet with each of them once alone and then the rest together. Um, That's not always an option. So, you know, I take what I can get with them, but that that's my preference Um, because, you know, there's a number of, so we could talk about both physical and emotional changes, right? When it comes to cancer and, um, I think they both are impacted in, in a variety of ways. I mean, we, we can't, you know, forget about the changes, you know, the, the physical changes, but then side effects, but also the treatment, that treatment impacts mood. And a lot of women will become anxious and or depressed during and following cancer treatment. And while the depression in itself can result in changes in libido and other sexual issues can arise if depression is untreated. Also, when it comes to like antidepressant medications, there are side effects as well that become sexual, that become sexual. So um, there's a lot that we have to think about both physically and emotionally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, most of the uh, literature says that at least 70% of women in their first year of their um, 
after their cancer diagnosis through treatment will experience some level um, that meets, you know, clinical depression. Um, so, and of course, a, a lot of the medications, like you said, that we use were, were fairly um, quick to prescribe them. Uh, you know, w- we want people to be able to, you know, deal and tolerate their treatment. Um, but particularly in breast cancer, uh, with the majority of breast cancers being, you know, hormone driven, we, we give these ladies medications that essentially um, either put them in menopause when they weren't or cause, you know, side effects of menopause like, um, you know, vaginal dryness, atrophic vaginitis, all that. So, so we may take a relationship that was, you know, good and normal and, you know, make, put a lot of stressors on it just from the medication alone, even if they get through the diagnosis. Um, sometimes they still have that to deal with, particularly the younger ladies. Is that something that you see? Absolutely. So, you know, there's two sides to that. So let's talk about the first, you said, you know, there are a range of issues that can affect sexual dysfunction of female cancer survivors. So we have, you mentioned the vaginal atrophy, which is thinning and inflammation of the vaginal walls, which can occur due to the decline in estrogen and often make the vagina dry. So as a result, people may experience painful intercourse. Um, other effects include, you know, hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which is low levels of sexual desire, fear of recurrence, stress, anxiety, uh, changes in the body. So it's like their self image are among the most significant changes that occur following treatment, um, that are, uh, specifically with breast cancer and gynecological, gynecological cancers, but you know, anything that alters the breast, which is, you know, what most women are often defined as, you know, we, we, you know, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and, and when it's removed or parts of it removed, it can have a significant impact on body image and self image, which has the potential in itself to diminish sexual functionings and feelings of sexual attractiveness. So, you know, I think that's one huge part of it. So what advice do you give um, to discuss with these ladies or modalities do you address in regards to how to treat these changes in their bodies or to get sexual with their partner. Sure. And, and I think, you know, let's first address that. We, we have to remember that there's a, oftentimes a partner, not always, and few people will take into account how the relationships are impacted. So um, there are actually studies that show that survivors who have a good sexual relationship before treatment do continue having satisfying relationships after surgery. But we have to remember that support is important and what it was like before. So we don't walk into this thinking that everybody has had a positive sexual relationship before this. So we don't know where that started. Um, so a lot of couples may not have been, you know, truly intimate and use their bodies anyway. So, you know, it, it isn't too late. You asked what, what we can do. So there are a lot of different things and it all really depends on where someone has started and what their presenting issues really are. So we want to understand that. Um, but we don't want to assume that the changes that they're, that are being experienced are being experienced in the same way by everybody. So it's important to, you know, understand where they're coming from, uh, be able to use it as an opportunity to create a different level of intimacy and communication within the relationship. Um, There are a lot of suggestions that I have for restoring sexuality after cancer. So we want people to, as soon as they're comfortable, resume affectionate touch, right? Because a lot of times it has been lost. So they can do this through even non-sexual touching or sexual touching that doesn't involve the genitals or just, you know, take it slowly, holding hands, hugging, kissing, caressing. Um, 
you know, so we don't want to, we don't have to start with sexual touch. We want to make sure both partners are on the same page with things. Um, we want to help them practice different ways of sexual expression. So maybe different positions. So positions they may have loved in the past and may have been part of their sort of sexual script might not be ones that are enjoyable or even doable anymore. So we're going to have to experiment with them and be comfortable with trying different things. Um, and so for a lot of people, for instance, maybe deep penetration isn't, you know, and, and, you know, placing weight on the scar are things that we might, they might want to avoid. Um, I don't know how much you want me to get into. I have a lot of suggestions I could give. Oh, it is so fascinating to me. And um, sadly, the amount that we don't know, I don't want to speak to you, <laughs> Ashley, but I'm just going to assume as as, as providers, um, just the amount that we don't know. Um, a couple of years ago, I had come across an article. Um, I don't even know where. Written by a patient, long and the short of the article was she had nipple sparing mastectomy. And although she was, um, you know, happy with the cosmetic outcome, she was really upset because nobody had discussed with her preoperatively the fact that she would no longer have nipple sensation. And so this, it was this whole article about how she was kind of like angry about it. And then I took it as, you know, advice to the provider, like, this is really important to a lot of women. And you need to let them know up front when they're we're discussing surgical options. So from that article forward, I changed my discussion um, with ladies and I am, you know, always very, very clear and specific about the fact that even though we can save your nipples, you know, they they might look the same, but they do not retain sensation or function. So, you know, you have to decide if it's an issue for you because if it's a really big issue, that if you don't know about it, we're not doing our job. We're doing you a disservice by not sharing that information. A hundred percent. And again, it's, it, and I don't blame physicians, right? It's, it's, you are focusing on keeping somebody alive and, and they're, you know, it's, it's time consuming and, and, you know, off to the next, I just think it's important that, the discussion is started and at least by a physician, by a nurse, by someone else in the office, a lot of, um, and I did part of my internship at the cancer Institute of New Jersey. So they actually had, you know, people on staff, they had therapists like myself on staff, you know, training, training, uh, the medical staff, as well as going into the rooms during consults or, or during, you know, follow-ups or, you know, having the opportunity to meet with, people ourselves. Um, so they, they let the, the patients know this is important. We know this is a big issue. We're giving you this resource. I think that's so val valuable. And also the information that you've shared is fascinating. Lindsay took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> and also extremely valuable. And us being able to just reference this podcast for future patients is so helpful because, you know, like you said, we don't always have time. And although we are really trying hard to put this into our survivorship program and to make sure that we're addressing it with patients both before surgery as well as long after surgery. It, sometimes it just gets lost in the weeds because there's lots of things to address. And I think being able to reference this podcast will be wonderful for patients. Um, yes. Are there some resources that you um, point patients to, um, you know, to maybe do some, you know, research on their own? or looking into? Is there anything specific we can maybe share with our ladies, um, you know, 
tomorrow in the office. Yeah, I mean, the American Cancer Institute does, or American Cancer Society, I believe, does have some great um, books, like little booklets on that address sexuality um, after cancer. So, you know, that's a great place to go. And even having some of those in your office could be helpful um, to give out. And, you know, I just say they're welcome to look me up. Um, well, your your website is excellent. I did um, look at it wholehealthpsych.com, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is, um, it is really excellent. Um, you know, in the COVID age, um, I don't, how, I don't know how much, um, video, uh, consultation you were doing before, but I imagine like everybody else that the telehealth has increased, um, during COVID and maybe will stay post COVID. Have you noticed some changes in your practice? In that respect? Yeah, I do a lot um, via telehealth. And so that um, allows me greater flexibility and, and to remain safe. Um, so yeah, I have wholehealthpsych.com and then, you know, drrachel.com, which, you know, Rachel's called R-A-C-H-E-L, um, that has some of my media resources on it that people can can look at. And we even have some trainings on my other, my training website, modernsextherapyinstitutes.com on cancer and sexuality. Well. Ashley and I need to get with it, <laughs> get with the program. <laughs> totally agree. You're, you're starting the conversation and that is the most important thing. We are opening the door. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are, we need to do a better job and, you know, not coincidentally, we left our third partner, you know, uh, Dr. Eric Brown, uh, out of this conversation, not necessarily cause he's a male, but, um, because he's a male. But I do think it is probably that much more challenging for, you know, our male colleagues uh, to try and have this discussion uh, with ladies. And so, you know, resources are good, even like you said, Rachel, just a flyer, something, some information where they can, um, you know, get in touch with somebody. Well, and even being able to just reference your um, website. So many times ladies just ask for a resource or a website or something they can go to that we trust. And so I think that's so important for today. But well, we really thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today. The information you provided will be so helpful for so many women. Thank you so much for having me. If there's listeners looking for more information, um, like Dr. Needle said, you can go to uh, her website, wholehealthpsych.com or drrachel.com. If there are any providers uh, listening to this who need some training, uh, Rachel, you said Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. Yep, dot com. Dot com. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Um so thank you. Thank you again so much. I, we could have 12 podcasts on this topic, or maybe that's just me. I could keep going, but it's excellent. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you all for listening to The Breast of Everything. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Lindsay Gold. And I am Dr. Ashley Richardson. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to The Breast of Everything podcast with your hosts and board-certified breast surgeons, Dr. Lindsay Gold and Dr. Ashley Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. If you have a subject you would like the surgeons to discuss, please email your suggestions online at compbreastcare.com. That's C-O-M-P-B-R-E-A-S-T-C-A-R-E.com. The doctors want to hear from you. The views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this podcast are intended for general education and informational purposes only 
and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment, or care from your physician or healthcare provider. Always consult your healthcare provider first.